just uh, left. She's afraid that she was possibly infected by one of the one of the daughters. So, out of abundance of uh, caution, she's elected to go home. And uh, so, let's let's keep uh, that family in, in prayer with Jim and Jolene and and their son. I don't think we've gotten our new envelopes yet, but we do have envelopes left over from last year with numbers written on the boxes. And if you choose to take one of those boxes, just remember that you'll have to etch out the numbers that are on the individual envelopes and then put the, your, your uh, envelope number on that. Um, We'll get to the bottom of it eventually. Yeah, on one of those freighters, huh? Good place for them. Uh, and the last uh, uh, note here is there will be no evening service tonight since our teacher is out with COVID. So as we begin, uh, is there any other uh, information or announcements that I haven't been made aware of or ah. and please avail yourself to them because I tend to stack up if you don't our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from the book of Psalm 91 and it's in the red hymnal. Is that going to be a responsive reading? <clears throat> Page 817. <clears throat> When you arrive uh, to that, uh, please stand with us. <coughs> Let's begin. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that in darkness, nor the plague that in A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe 
If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Because he loves me, says the Lord God Jehovah, I will rescue him. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father in heaven, as we begin our service this day, we come with, with hearts that are full of gladness. But yet, Lord, there is trepidation that surrounds us. We look to you, O Lord, in all these things that befall us in this world, that as your children, as your servants, as your brothers in Christ, we ask you, Lord, to have your hand upon us this hour as the pastor brings forth the message that it consoles the hearts of the faithful and convicts the hearts of the lost to draw them near to you. Watch over and protect us this hour, Father, as the message is brought, and may hearts be joined may souls be saved for our good and for your glory. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. We have uh, M number 382 in the brown. feel it incumbent upon myself to remind you all who is leading the singing today and that you are endued with the responsibility of singing louder than me. Okay. Are we ready? 382. <clears throat> Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night waking or sleeping thy presence my life be thou my wisdom and thou my true word I ever with thee and thou with me Lord thou my great father I thy true son thou in me dwelling and I with thee one riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance 
Here's the quandary. What are you going to pick for a song that I don't know? <laughs> if, you, if you'd be gracious with me, please find something that... Uh, <laughs> amen. Dale, what, what have you got? Lucky for you, I think I might know this. Yeah. 349, you said? Because if I didn't know it, you'd be up here helping me. <clears throat> okay, we'll try them all. Ready? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, 
for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he shows are for them who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Our scripture reading for this morning, taken from the book of Genesis 27, and it will conclude in Genesis 28. We'll go Genesis 27, starting at verse 41, and then we will conclude in Genesis 28, verse 9. <clears throat> When you're there, uh, please stand with us. <coughs> Genesis 27, beginning at verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted 
with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you, your descendants, the blessings given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Badan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armenian, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Badan Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Badan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Naboth, the mother and daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Father in heaven, we pray that you would add your blessing to this holy and inspired scripture that it provokes a thought in our heart, and that we seek you out for the correctness of our lives. In the name of Christ we ask, amen. <clears throat> uh, from the hymnal, let's go to 202. Amazing Grace. <clears throat> in the hymnal. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Thank you. Please be seated. distancing himself from the family, 
and from God by marrying Hittite pagan women with whom he was more compatible than with a woman of the Jewish nation. I say that because if you read in the New Testament, uh, it says that he was godless and immoral. So that's coming out in his behavior. Isaac still planned to give Esau the blessing. That was a direct violation, think about that, of God's revealed will. The blessing was tied to the birthright, which Esau sold to Jacob. Isaac was treading on dangerous ground in all of this. Rebekah overheard Isaac's plan, and she foiled it through her own brand of intrigue, so that Jacob, disguised as Esau, was blessed by blind Isaac. He won the position of head of the clan and inherited the entire estate. It's interesting to know that once you gave, once they gave their word, even if they were wrong, even if they were tricked into giving their word on a su- subject, you couldn't take it back. You couldn't say, oh, I was tricked. Therefore, I'm going to make sure that Esau is the one that gets the blessing of the land and so forth. No. These were all uh, governed by God's word and the fact that once you made a promise, once you took an oath, what you meant once you made a pledge that was set in concrete you didn't take it back in fact the scripture warns that if you take an oath and then you take it back and you say something stupid like oh well i made a mistake god says if you do that not only will uh, the oath go forward but you will be judged as a liar and a deceiver and you are in trouble with God. So they took these vows very, very seriously. Well, Rebecca overheard Isaac's plan, and she foiled it, like I said, through her own brand of intrigue, so that Jacob, disguised as Esau, you remember the whole story, was blessed by blind Isaac. He was blind, and he won the position as head of the clan, He inherited the entire estate. We drew out a number of uh, lessons from this study. Number one, marriage shows compatibility of mind and spirit, not just physical attraction. Esau married women whose philosophy of life was his own. Just point blank. That's why why wasn't there uh, an attraction to Jewish women women of his own faith, women in his own country, because he was not of a spiritual mind with regard to all of that. He wanted what he wanted, and he married women that agreed with his philosophy. Secondly, we learned that any attempt to bypass or soften the revealed will of God is sin, which carries consequences. Thirdly, God often gives us indicators that something isn't right. Remember, <laughs> Jacob is getting the blessing, and Isaac's blind Isaac now. He's kind of scratching his head. Well, boy, the voice is that of Jacob, but the, the smell of the clothes is the smell of the field. That's 
Esau, you know, the hunter, the guy that, uh, you know, Mr. Macho Man. But he had these indicators, ooh, something's wrong, like God was flashing red light, but he proceeded anyway. And that's what happened. God gives us indicators, and that was my point. You, you, you can't go against those. If you do, you'll suffer the consequences. And then finally we learn that true repentance for sin consists of more than crying and tears. And some of the tears are just tears of regret. They're tears of loss. Of feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, wow, what did I do? But not of repentance. And that's what it was with Esau. Well, today's account brings before us the aftermath of all of this deception. And there is an aftermath. There's, a, there's consequence. Which would include Isaac's secret plan to bless Esau in violation to the revealed will of God. Rebekah's elaborate hoax of disguising Jacob to represent Esau. Remember that. Finally, Jacob's ruse in playing the role of Esau through lies and costumes to secure Isaac's blessing. So there's room here for many to share the blame of deception and consequently the aftermath of such living lies because that's what they were. We start by here looking at verse 41, excuse me, verse 41. It says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Well, yeah. We read this and we think, who wouldn't hold a grudge against another who has used lies and trickery and deception to defraud them of what was legally theirs? No one likes to be made a fool. If this were an insignificant matter, we might dismiss it with the council. Well, Esau, you need to just get over it. So Jacob played a trick on you. That happens in life with everyone. Man up, get on with your life. I played a lot of tricks on my sister and my brother when we were growing up. But these were trivial things that ended in all of us laughing and having fun. But if you look at our text... Esau is not laughing. Instead, he is plotting. Plotting what? He's plotting the murder of Jacob for stealing the blessing of his father, Isaac, right out from under his nose. Verse 41. Again, let's keep in mind that this blessing meant the lion's share of Isaac's estate to name just one aspect of the blessing. Okay, what do we know about Isaac's estate? Is this a big deal or is minor inconvenience? Chapter 26, verse 13 and 14. The man, speaking of Isaac, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow. Until he became very wealthy. 
He had so many, I'm still reading scripture. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Genesis 26, verse 13 and 14. Wow. And historically, there are thousands of accounts where siblings have been done in by a brother or sister just to get their hands on the inheritance money. You know that about history. So that's one aspect. But another aspect of the blessing was the position of family head, the ruler of the clan. Chapter 27, verse 29, Be lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. There it is. Historically, this is is many centuries before Israel's first king, who was Saul, and it preceded by the period of the ruling judges. And even further back, we move to our text, when the patriarchs or fathers of the clans ruled with multiple wives and many children, these clans or tribes grew numerically into thousands and thousands of people. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they had to face the enemy of the Midianites who blocked their path to the promised land. And we are told the Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. And after that, you will be gathered to your people. That is, you will die, Moses. This is one last thing you're going to have to do. And then you're going to come home to be with me. So Moses said to the people, Arm some of your men, go to war against the Midianites to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. Wow. So, twelve thousand men armed for battle, a thousand from each tribe, were supplied from the clans of Israel. And Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest who took him with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. Numbers 31, the first six verses. But, let me tell you, a thousand from each clan or tribe, that was a drop in the bucket compared to the total number in each clan. Let me give you some numbers. Numbers 26. The including chapter here. The clan of Reuben. 43,730. One clan. Gad. 40,500. Judah. 76,500. Issachar. 64,300. Zebulun. 60,500. Manasseh. 52,700. Ephraim, 32,500. Benjamin, 45,600. And when Saul mustered his army to fight against the Ammonites, we are told the men of Israel, that's a terminology for the northern tribes, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. So that's 330,000 total warriors. 1 Samuel 
11, verse 8. The clan over which Esau would be ruler was a far cry from what the descendants of Isaac became. But the principle remains that headship, be it over a hundred or over thousands, was snatched away from Esau through Jacob's treachery, and Esau was not about to take that lying down. And so the third point is this. There is a third aspect of the blessing which to Esau was why he despised the birthright and the blessing in the first place. And that third aspect was the position of spiritual leader of the tribe. Esau had no spiritual leanings towards Jehovah. The Bible labels him as godless. Wow. Godless. His marriage to Hittite women confirms that. Chapter 26, verse 34. So what I'm saying is that two out of the three aspects of the blessing, Esau wanted very, very badly. The lion's share of the estate, because of its great wealth. Well, yeah, he wanted that and the position of clan ruler to be the boss. It's the age-old lust of men for money and power. That's it. Two things. Give me money, give me power. But the spiritual duties of prayer, living in accordance with the word of God, judging the people with righteousness and equity, living in an exemplary life of morality and fairness, and of loving Worship for God. (laughs) No, Esau had no leanings on any of those things. He wanted nothing to do with that. And because he was godless, he forfeited God's blessing as the clan ruler. So, what did Esau do? Well, his intention was to hide, excuse me, bide his time. I'll just wait a while. And when Isaac's gone, that would be dad. When dad's dead, I will kill my brother Jacob. Verse 41. That's his plan. Rebecca, likely privy to Esau's intent, maybe through a servant who overheard Esau's threat. Verse 42. She quickly summoned Jacob to warn him that he was in danger as long as he remained at the homestead. Her solution was to have Jacob flee to her own homestead, back to her brother Laban's house, where Eliezer, Abraham's servant, had found her as a bride for Isaac. She then made this appeal to Isaac, verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Genesis 27, verse 46. Now she's not being melodramatic. These were pagan women. Then they brought their pagan worship, their idolatry, 
their uh, prostitution, all of that that was involved in pagan worship, they brought all of that in and she is reacting to that. My life will not be worth living. In other words, she's saying, I've had it up to, my, up to here with all the wicked things these women have brought into our family. And if that happens with Jacob, then, you know, what's the use? Well, from this concern, Isaac takes control, he does, and he sends Jacob away. Look at chapter 28, verse 1 and following. So Jacob, so Isaac, excuse me, called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him. Wow. What did he command him? Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padam Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your number until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessings given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padam Aram, to Laban son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Genesis 28, the first five verses. I think it's wonderful to witness here that harmony of purpose has been restored between Rebecca and Isaac. They were kind of <laughs> like this over these boys and who's going to do what and so forth. But now there, there is harmony between the two of them. There's been a lot of tension between the two because Isaac favored Esau Rebecca favored Jacob, both of them at odds with one another over which son should be appointed as the family head. Now that Isaac was old, incapacitated, he's soon going to die. Someone's got to be ready to take over. Isaac was guilty of trying to bypass Jacob as the heir that God had chosen for the tribe. And Rebecca was guilty of using deception and trickery against her husband to see to it that Jacob received the father's blessing. For all of this, instead of trusting God's promise that, yes, indeed, the older son would be subservient to the younger, Jacob, and no, God did not need her trickery to accomplish his will. Isn't that us sometimes? Think about it. There's a failure of faith here on both parts. But now, praise God, they're pulling together. They are both agreed that Jacob needs to leave their homestead for two reasons. Number one, the intent of Esau to kill Jacob was taken very seriously. They recognized that Esau's anger was real. It was not about to subside. And what is more, Esau had the wherewithal 
to kill his brother with one sh- sh- swift arrow from his bow? And it'd be all over. Now, Rebecca does anticipate, you can see this, a time when Esau will calm down. He'll come to his senses. Look at verse 45. When your brother is no longer angry with you, when he forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back. But, son, that time is not here. It's not now. That's the implication. Not while Esau is still steaming over the trickery used by you to steal what he considers his father's blessing for yourself. So that's the first reason. The second reason Isaac and Rebekah want Jacob to return to his uncle's homestead is to find a suitable wife. I think we should really take note of this. They do not want him marrying pagan women as Esau had done. They knew, and we should too, that a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever foments all sorts of disagreement and heartaches that would otherwise be avoided. That's because believers think about life in the context of how their decisions will advance and favor the will of God. But unbelievers do not take religion seriously because they think they are masters of their own destiny. They don't need God telling them what to do. And so, they're happy to avoid unnecessary tension by getting into those issues. Paul puts it this way, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. RSV translation says, do not be mismated with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is a biblical name for Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with you and walk with you. And I will be their God and they will be my people. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and following. Verse 5 of our text states, Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padamaran to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Genesis 28, verse 5. See how careful they are. Now these are adult men. They're in their 40s. And here's dad, mom, saying to their adult sons, you know, you don't want to marry these Canaanite women. This is not a good choice. And the implication is that they're going to draw your heart away to idols. And they're going to draw your heart away from worshiping the one and only true God. And you're going to get into some pretty nasty and wicked stuff because of the idolatry that is practiced by these Canaanites. And so they say, well, we have a solution. 
if you go north, if you go back to my brother's house in northern Palestine, he has daughters, you'll find believing women who love the Lord Jehovah, and any one of them will make a good wife for you. Can you imagine telling a 40-some-year-old man, now I don't want you to marry anybody here, I want you to go back home and marry somebody from my brother's family. In our culture, we would laugh at that. So who do you think you are? I'm 40 years old. I make my own decision. I don't need you, Mom, telling me what to do. But that's the difference in the age and the reverence they had for mothers and dads expression and for their wisdom well that leads us to Esau's retaliation against his parents whoa when Esau learned that Isaac and Rebekah had sent Jacob away to Padamaran with their blessing for the purpose of taking a wife from among the relatives who lived there he picked up something of interest in the report he received. Okay, that something of interest was the news that Isaac, chapter 28, verse 6, commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Oh, a light bulb went on. My father, my mother are dead set against their son, Jacob, marrying any woman of Canaanite heritage. Now, if he had not figured it out before, he figured it out now. And with his marriage, he proceeded to marry two Hittite women who were his wives. And he now understood they didn't set well with mom and dad. What did he do with this information? Verse 8 and following. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and he married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Genesis 28. Verse 89. What's he doing? This is a spite move on Esau's part. He's reasoning, well, my father is displeased with Canaanite women becoming part of the family. So I will go out and marry a woman equally repulsive to Isaac. I will marry the sister of Ishmael's daughter. Ishmael being the son of Abraham, whom God rejected as heir, remember that, to Abraham's fortune and birthright, because Isaac was the promised heir, not Ishmael. So you see what's going on here. Note the irony in this. Esau lost the blessing and the birthright to Jacob, the secondborn, and Ishmael lost the blessing and birthright to Isaac, the secondborn. So Esau goes to Ishmael 
the black sheep in Abraham's family, and he marries one of Ishmael's, <clears throat> Ishmael's women, a woman just as rejected, just as much an outcast of, as any Canaanite woman, but with this added gotcha twist of being an actual outcast in Abraham's and Isaac's own family. I think it was Esau's way of kicking sand in his dad and mom's face by doing something he knew would add to their pain and anguish. The report had come back to him that his mother, Rebecca, could not abide his present wives, did not want Jacob to marry the same kind of women. So what better way, if you can put it that way, what better way to hurt his parents than to do the very opposite of Jacob's actions? You see, Jacob did leave. He did go back to his uncle's household to find a wife. So Esau, what did he do? He would disobey by marrying one of the women in Ishmael's rejected family. What a messed up, hurtful, infighting family whose heartache they brought upon themselves through intentional sin. The consequences were worse than the hurt they inflicted on one another. Rebecca told Jacob, when your brother is no longer angry with you, when he forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there, there being her brother's house. You know, I'll let you know when you can come back home. She had it all thought out. What she had not thought out was the truth that 20 years would pass. 20 years would pass before Jacob would return home. Chapter 31, verse 38. And in those 20 years, Rebecca herself would die. So she would never see Jacob again. That's a hard pill to swallow for the lies, the deception, the schism in the family that she and Isaac's poor parenting had caused. It wasn't worth it. But they did it, and they reaped the consequence. Now what are the lessons pertinent to living in this kind of family turmoil. And it's not unique, by the way. Firstly, I would say that with God, spiritual responsibilities take precedence over material goods and rule in family leadership. If I were to ask you fathers here, what is your primary mandate from God in being the father of your family? I'm pretty sure that most dads would list two main tasks for which they feel an overwhelming obligation to fulfill. Number one, well, I need to be a good provider for the family by working hard to earn money so the family could purchase housing and food and clothing and have health care for their wives and for their children. And number two, 
not only to provide, but to protect the family from those who would ask, or not ask, but seek to hurt them, belittle them, destroy them in any way. So provide, protect. Provide, protect. That's what I would do. And it's true that such a mandate from God is given to us as fathers, as husbands. Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty clear. First Timothy 5, verse 8. And Paul said himself as an example, he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, then he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 and following. But with that said and that believed, it makes us no better than Esau who also sought to obtain money and protective power for himself and his family. Yeah, he did that. But the spiritual leadership of the home, Esau had no stomach for that. Solomon puts it this way, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4. How do we do that? Devotional readings, scripture lessons, prayer times, discussion on relevant present-day topics in the news, how to relate to those things, etc., etc. There's a whole host of things. This is the the priority. So do not worry saying, What shall we eat? Oh, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, verse 31 and following. So the spiritual takes precedence over the material and over protection from outside forces. That's the priority. The spiritual comes first. Secondly, grudges are born of hatred. And hatred is the underpinnings of murder. I think you probably know that. What's a grudge? Well, the Hebrew word is sawtam, S-A-W-T-A-M, sawtam, grudge. means to bear a grudge, to retain 
animosity against, to cherish animosity against. Now, if we were just change the last letter of that word from an M to an N, Sautan, you hear what that sounds like? Sautan. The word means an opponent, a plotter, an adversary. It's one of the names for Satan. Satan. Oh. In English, a grudge is a persistent feeling of ill will or resistance and resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. Isn't this Esau in our text? Think about this. He has been wronged by his brother Jacob. He is steaming about it inside. The more he thinks about the trickery Jacob used to deprive him of his dad's blessing, the more angry he becomes. And the more angry he becomes, the more his hatred towards Jacob begins to take on the scheme of a murder plot. And good-meaning people would say to Esau, Hey, man, you you just have to let this go. But he can't let it go. His pride has been wounded. His macho masculinity humiliated by a smooth-talking, spoiled brat of a brother whose chief success in life is scheming. Jesus put it this way. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Or again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means curse you, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the governing Jewish body. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. The writer of Hebrews warns about the consequence Esau never contemplated, nor do we at times. Here it is. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile a man. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Hebrews 12, verse 15 and 16. Wow. That's not a very good legacy, is it? Esau's bitter grudge put him at odds with his brother Jacob. But even worse, it put him at odds with God and his grace. He was contemplating murder. And in his hatred for Jacob, the murder was already a done deal because he had murder in 
is heart the hatred there John puts it this way anyone who hates his brother I'm reading scripture anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him 1 John 3 verse 15 bottom line Esau became his own worst enemy so let's not fall into his trap Paul puts it this way in your anger don't sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry see that's the idea of nursing a grudge do not give the devil a foothold Ephesians 4 26 and 27 in other words deal with your anger before the sun sets before the day's end how you're going to deal with that will depend on the type of anger who you're angry with for what reason are you angry but the point is you go get that settled with that person before the sun sets before the day ends you don't let it seethe and seethe and fester and build up all kinds of rancor and wickedness of heart and thought and mind and then you get to the point where one day you explode you say and do things that you will regret for eternity Thirdly, a cool-down time for anger leads to more rational conduct and peace. I think Rebecca was correct when she said to Jacob, Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. Genesis 27, verse 43. She is saying to Jacob, Put some distance between you and Esau. Allow for some time to pass between the two of you. Give Esau some time to cool down and rethink his angry intent. And you know what? God's word endorses Rebekah's wisdom here. The psalmist writes, In your anger do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts. And be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Psalm 4, verse 4 and 5. What's that psalm saying? He's saying you need to sleep on it. Sleep on it. Don't just go react. Think about it. Or again, a patient man has great understanding. So take some time to think through. But a quick-tempered man displays folly. Proverbs 14, verse 29. Again, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Oh, and what about Proverbs 15, verse 1? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger what are we going to do with this unruly member of our body called the tongue 
Paul put it this way, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4 verse 31 and 32. Isn't that something we have to be told by the apostle to be forgiving? Because don't you remember that God had to forgive you and he did? May I say that this works even for people with murderous intent like Esau. Because in the reunion which occurred 20 years later between Esau and Jacob, this is what we read. Let me read it for you. They did have a 20-year reunion later. 20 years. (laughs) Wow, what a long time to wait. But they get it. They did it. Here's what we read. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Do not give vent to your anger. Allow for time and distance to lead to cooler heads. Allow the bitter root to die of malnourishment through forgiveness and reconciliation. You say, well, 20 years, that's a long time. Yeah, but they finally got to it. Praise the Lord. And then finally, the fact that God can and does override evil actions does not exonerate people for their sin. I don't think we should ever look at Rebekah and Jacob's trickery of Isaac and Esau as okay because, well, you know, it all turned out well in the end. That's not the way to look at it. These two plotted together to help God out, as though he needed any help, to keep the covenant promise to Jacob. We asked, well, what would have happened to God's plan that Jacob received the blessing had not Jacob and Rebekah stepped in to save the day? What would have happened? Well, I don't know how God would have resolve the willfulness of Isaac and his deliberate attempt to rule contrary to God's will. I only know that God does perfectly well without being pushed, prodded, manipulated by sinners who think they know best. That I do know. God wants you and I to live our lives by faith in him. Not by our wits, not by wheeling, dealing, Not by trying to outsmart or outplay what God has set in motion. When this happens, God can and does often override our sinful actions. But in doing so, he allows the consequences of our conduct to come crashing down upon us. In the middle of Rebekah's planned deception of Isaac, Jacob expressed some doubts. Remember that. Genesis 27, verse 12. What if my father touches me? Mm -hmm. Referring to his smooth skin compared to Esau being a hairy man. What if my father touches me and I would be 
appearing to trick him, and then I would bring a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Now, I, re- I read that, and I think, hey, that, that, that's a thoughtful point. Right? It is. Here's what Rebecca said. Well, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Oh, Rebecca. Oh, my. You really want to say that of God, to God? Let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. God's curse did fall on her. Jacob had to flee for his life to Padamaran, her brother's home, 700 miles away. She planned to see Jacob again when he returned, but she died before he came home. Her other son Esau married Ishmaelite women just to spite her and to spite Isaac. There are consequences in this life for sin, even when God overrides our stupidity and brings good out of evil. So my charge is to live your life in such a way as to be blessed by God, not cursed by God. At all costs, avoid the curse of judgment. Rebecca was disciplined by God for her sinful plotting against her husband and using Jacob like a pawn on a chessboard. But she was not condemned to hell. She was chastised. It's the difference between an enemy of God and a disobedient child of God. In love, God disciplines his wayward children. We're told that. In wrath, he destroys his enemies. But even here, there is the promise of the good news of the gospel which comes to us and says to all who believe, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Romans 5, verse 8 and following. This is a promise for me. It is a promise for you. It is for all who will believe and trust the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness and cleansing for your sin available through Jesus. There's life eternal promise through this one who faced death, our last enemy, defeated death, was resurrected unto life and brings about justification before God because of what he's done. Do you trust Christ? To be your stand-in, your go-between, it's what the gospel promises.
for all who believe. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we praise you for it. What a dysfunctional family, we would say, using today's modern terminology. Rebecca, Isaac, parents who showed favoritism towards one child over another. Esau preferred by Isaac, Jacob preferred by Rebecca. When they should have both been loved and nurtured in the things of God. For every parent here, let us take to heart the reality that we are not to show favoritism, but to show genuine love and compassion for one another. And raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because the day is coming when we shall all face the great creator and father of the universe to give an account of how we have handled what the scripture calls his children. Because he says in the psalm, children are a heritage from the Lord, a gift from God to his people. And they are a blessing but let us be a blessing back. We thank you for these historical studies of the patriarchs, their wives, their children, and so forth. It helps us to see that society has not changed since the days of the patriarchs. There's family squabbles. There's scheming going on. There's underhanded trickery going on. All of these things, we see it as much today as was happening in the days of the patriarchs. But we have to our advantage the gospel of grace, the New Testament, which gives us God's answer for such deception and lies. You've called us to a better way to live and to live by way of the truth. And Jesus said the truth is what's going to set you free. So set us free, Lord. Help us as parents to provide for our family and children the equality of education for them in the spiritual things, forgiveness for each of them, not a lack of partiality for all of our kids to the praise and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who made it possible and so that we might be an example to the world of what it means to be under the forgiveness of Jesus' blood righteousness and to be able to raise a godly seed that will affect the world in a positive way we do thank you for all of our children and pray your blessing upon them in Jesus name amen our closing hymn is 284 in the hymnal 284 Is everybody familiar with this tune? We have sung it in the past, but 
it's true that it's we we don't sing it very often. Well, they all say they know it, so they all know also that we have to sing this with confidence and enthusiasm. Amen. <laughs> we ready? We are one in, in the, the spirit. spirit. We are one in, in the Lord. We, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. All praise to the Father from whom all things come. And all praise to Christ Jesus, His only Son. And all praise to the Spirit who makes us one. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray together. May that ever be the case, that the truth of this hymn, that the world will know we are Christians by our love. Love is sacrificial. Well, we have that wonderful love chapter in the book of Corinthians. It trusts, it believes, it doesn't keep track of wrongs. That whole list, wonderful, wonderful text. Help us to imbibe that type of love, Lord. Grant us the spirit of love that we might function among ourselves in that way. And to the world, the world needs to see that kind of love because their idea of love is often just lust and no compassion, no sacrifice. But Lord, you've taught us the truth. We look at Jesus loving us. His enemies. Sinners. We praise you, Lord, for that. Help us to love in that way. That God might get the glory. And also for our good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are dismissed.